Welcome to the Project Horse Podcast. We're making advanced horsemanship more accessible by sharing down-to-earth horse training advice, practical tips, and examples from our own experiences as up-and-coming trainers. If you'd like your horsemanship questions answered on the podcast, hit us up on Facebook at facebook.com slash Horses. Thank you very much for listening. Welcome to the Project Horse Podcast. On today's episode, we're going to talk about leg yielding and some common questions that get brought to our attention, especially talking about training young horses, younger performance horses. And we're also going to continue our discussion on advanced stopping. In our last segment, we talked about how to build the horse's confidence, start kind of working on our gear system, and stopping them with a little bit more speed, adding some speed, building their confidence gradually stepping them up gear by gear to be able to stop them at higher and higher rates of speed and maintain that horse's confidence. So we haven't been working on rundowns specifically yet. We've just really built the horse's confidence up to this point. Now we can really start working on the rundown and the stop as a maneuver because we have all the building blocks in place. Before we get to that though, I wanted to address something that often comes up. We've mentioned this in sort of a offhanded way before which is that oftentimes because we advocate so strongly for doing a lot of leg yielding with young horses, meaning we're teaching them from basically the first ride how to disengage their hindquarters, uh, yield their hindquarters off of our leg very quickly on. We're softening their rib cage around our inside leg, getting them to bend, getting them to soften, getting them to move off our leg, move their shoulders around, just introducing a lot of body control stuff a lot earlier than a lot of people like to do that. And there's specific reasons why people often say that you shouldn't, but one of the common things that gets brought up or posited to us is, well, if I really do a lot of leg yielding, especially if I teach my horses to disengage their hindquarters, say I'm working on lead changes or whatever, that's going to mess up other things. And a very common one, and I saw a question on this the other day, was a lady was struggling with lead changes. And so she was doing different exercises to just get that horse moving his hip off of her leg, pushing the hip up, yielding the hindquarters, just getting a little bit more hindquarter control on the horse in order to get that horse changing leads more consistently. While that did actually clean up some things in the lead changing department, she noted that other things were starting to fall apart. Specifically, she said that any time she went to do a lead departure, or she even put her leg back there, that the horse was really dumping everything over to the inside. He wasn't just pushing the hip up anymore. He was basically, and she didn't say it like this, but from her description, he was effectively running through her inside leg and just being real stiff. A lot of people answering her question and responding to it were saying, See, I told you, you can't do that that disengaging the hindquarters. You can't do that yielding the hindquarters stuff because then it's so hard to get them to stop disengaging their hindquarters. And there was a couple people talking about the horse disengaging the hind end on the circle, which kind of doesn't make sense. If they're disengaging, that means technically they're stopping forward motion and disengaging the hindquarters. That's why it's called disengaging. And what we think they really mean is that the horse is kind of pushing his hip up or effectively just running his whole body 
his rib cage, his hindquarters, everything through their inside leg. He's stiff, and uh, they don't like that feeling. They don't like it. They feel like it ruined other things, even though it made the lead changes and the hip control aspect better. Right, and that's not something that's totally out of left field. That's something that you we, that we see time and time again, and it's always a symptom of a much larger cause which is more just the overall brokenness in the horse, like very much so on a horse like this when they introduce hindquarter control. Now, keep in mind, this was introduced to this horse much like this horse is a bridle horse. When you're introducing it that late in the program, then you definitely, that that raises red flags of having a lot of holes or kind of missed opportunities before then to introduce a lot of other body control. Like our particular program, Hindquarter control is really the first time we really start disengaging or yielding them off of our legs, teaching them to yield to pressure like that. And so that's, you know, starting a colt, I'd say about two weeks into the riding, you know, a little under two weeks, 10, 10 rides in, you know, we're starting that. So that's very early in the program, whereas this is a three going on four-year-old. So that raises red flags that the horse through their whole body isn't really broke loose. And so this is this whole move your body off of my leg type of a thing is quite foreign to this horse. And because there's a lot of stiffness from that shoulder through that rib cage, the fact that the hindquarters is now broke loose, it's almost like the horse is using it against this person in a way. And it's not entirely unusual to teach a horse a maneuver like this, like an actual exercise. And then all of a sudden, they immediately audible to that all the time. Like one of the a particular individ- individual who is real big into trick training horses. Uh, one one insight they had offered to me about like a new trick that they were introducing. They were working on having the horse back the whole length of a 300-foot arena while they just stood there and wiggled their finger and then gallop up to them off of a draw from a distance. Like that was the new like that was the new trick that they were teaching them. Well, they were talking about how the latest trick that they had taught this horse was how to bow his head down and like bury his face, you know, kind of almost like hide his face in the in the sand. And so when they were tried to introduce this new element, this greater distance and have this horse gallop up to them across the arena, when they first started doing this, the horse, once it got to the point backing away from her, where it was out of its comfort zone and farther away than it ever had. And it was like unsure if it should still be backing or if it was supposed to be doing something else because it had never been back, say, more than 100 feet away. So it gets to, say, 125 feet and it's like, okay, I'm a bit lost here. Like, should I have been running around you? Should I be running back to you? You know, it was really wanting to draw back because it had never been that far away. And it was well trained enough that it was expecting, okay, it seems about this distance we start to draw in. So it was really wanting to draw in. Well, she had to get a little more aggressive with her cues and, like, approach the horse, increase her body language, start walking towards him a little bit to try and drive him away because he had gotten stuck. Well, as she increased her, her body language and started to, like, kind of march her elbows and step towards the horse, the horse got a bit, um, shall we say, worried in a way. Like, that's a bad word to use. But it was like, okay, the wheels are turning. You know, she's coming type of a thing, right? And so it's trying to look for the answer. And so what did it start doing? It started audibling to the last maneuver that it learned, that, that bow and bury its, bury its head in, in the sand. And of course, you know, she couldn't help but laugh there for a second, um, just at the, kind of the, 
the honest mistake of the horse, but she said that's very true about most of the, the tricks that, that she teaches the horse. Once that she's got its respect on the ground and starts introducing the tricks, every new trick, as a general rule, they always audible to the last thing that they remember. And But she has that foundation of respect built up so that it doesn't get in the way and hinder the progress. The horse will be confused. It can learn from it and move on. Horses are a lot like young kids in the sense that they get hooked on certain things and they go through these phases where their mind is just completely absorbed by one thing. Or as you put it, they learn a skill or a trick in the analogy you used. And that's what they go to when you start putting pressure on them or try to teach something new, and they're just kind of unsure what the answer is. They just default back to what they had just learned, thinking that that's the answer. And in this case here, you've got somebody who our intuition says, and we've seen this time and time again, this horse really isn't broke through the body, doesn't understand how to handle or yield to or soften to leg pressure to a degree, but this lady introduces more hip control exercises in order to fix one specific area, not address the whole problem of this horse just being generally stiff through the body. It ha it probably had leaning issues and being stiff through the ribs, diving its shoulder in. All that was there, but just kind of lurking along under the radar. So then she gets deep into the into the hip stuff and she kind of she kind of cracks open the egg on that end. Now that's like the door that the horse is running to, but because he's stiff, it makes the problem worse. He's just kind of floundering around looking for the answer, and in the process, running through her leg. The question or the problem opens up several doors. The first door immediately is, well, you know, this horse for this age introducing it this late, obviously it's not really broke the way it needs to be. Like, it's kind of, now it was just a riding horse, and all of a sudden now you're starting to get it broke, so he's very one-dimensional. So he has no foundation to apply this now all of a sudden broke loose hindquarters too. Uh, another thing that immediately as a red flag, is the degree to, uh, to which you taught this horse to disengage their hindquarters. If you're teaching them to, say, yield their hindquarters on a straight line, you need to pretend like the horse is walking in the middle of a set of railroad tracks, and you can yield that hindquarters outside of the tracks one way or outside of the other, but those front legs stay in those railroad tracks walking forward or jogging forward. Well, if you have let this horse be lazy and push their hip up, say, yield their hindquarters to the left on a straight line, but also let their front end drift to the left at the same time, essentially you're letting them push into your left leg as you yield their hindquarters. And that problem, especially with a horse that doesn't have much foundation and is already naturally stiff through the ribcage and the neck and the shoulder, it's going to get much worse. And all of a sudden now when you try to disengage the hindquarters, it's going to do like a really sloppy side pass instead of actually push its hip up and engage. Or another problem is, how how picky were you about a smooth and controlled yield? Did you just put your leg back there and then thump or whack and let it jump its hindquarters away or quickly, hurriedly get them out from underneath your leg and then release? Or did you stay there until the horse was quit running around, paid attention to what it was doing, and waited till it yielded or pushed its hip up and stepped with cadence, relaxed and controlled? If you've done that... I mean, I've seen a lot of horses that they try to lope one off and they're like flinging their hip left and right like yes. a mad, mad worm. And that's from being way too aggressive about moving the hip off of their leg and not staying in there and just waiting till that horse relaxes and moves its hip but controlled off your leg. Because yes. there is a big difference between yes. the two. The control, the horse needs to be relaxed and 
and actually submit to what's going on. Like we've talked before about being fake or, you know, you've got a horse that especially these older, stiffer horses that you're now trying to fix holes and do different things with, you can be fake in the sense that you're you're sort of manufacturing things. They're so, you're sort of bumping or glancing them off your legs and hands and uh, you're just, they're not really submitting to that but you're just kind of able to just manufacture it and maneuver them around without them actually being soft and submitting right. to it. And another point too is that is worth considering is, okay, you've taught this horse now how to disengage off your leg with his hindquarters, so maybe keep going now with this program. Maybe he's just green. He obviously doesn't have a great foundation to begin with, so what's the next thing after the hindquarters? Address the rib cage now. Maybe you need to go and say, okay, I've got the hindquarters broke loose. Maybe you can say, all right, I've been picky with my yielding. You know, if I bend his head around and just yield him and disengage him in a circle, he's not walking out of it. He's pivoting on his front feet and yielding his hindquarters, or I can push his hip up on a straight line. He's not drifting in or out. Um, if you can say that, then okay, well, let's, let's start addressing the next phase of his body. Obviously, he's also real pushy with his rib cage if you're having these problems, so Let's go now and work on the rib cage, And then what do we do? We go to the shoulder. And so we'll start now getting the rest of this horse caught up to that. Get the rest of him broke. And maybe, maybe just trust the process and going through a bit of a learning curve. Because, again, the, the cliche saying, you've got to get through the ugly stuff to get to the good stuff. Well, it's a cliche because it's true. So maybe just trust the process and now start to get the rest of him broke. Go to the rib cage, then the shoulder. Um, you know, a lot of lateral, get that neck broke loose, then start going vertically. And maybe that will address your problem as well. Yeah. It's kind of like if you put a new engine in a car, but there's still no power steering and you've got really minimal brakes. Okay. We fix the engine. It's running great, but it's still really hard to turn and get stopped. Well, let's just continue on with the work we're doing. Let's get the brakes fixed. Let's get the steering fixed. In other words, we get this horse softened up. Something tells me this horse could probably benefit from a lot of things like bending transitions and bend and draw and shoulder in, shoulder out, all these different things. There's still a lot of work left to be done. But what we don't like seeing is when people just want to write off doing any sort of leg yielding and body control work because they run into an issue like this in the very early stages and they kind of get sour on it and they decide, well, it fixed one issue, but everything else got worse. So it's a net negative. It's easy to condemn the exercise rather than stepping back and taking a broad picture of the whole situation, like a broad, like a, a non-biased, just step outside of the situation and just look at it as an observer. See what's going on and find the root cause instead of just going the easy route and condemning the exercise. Now let's continue on with our ongoing Advanced Horsemanship 101 series on stopping. Just to recap, since we've been building up to this point across multiple episodes, we started off by presenting to you guys a framework of how to really get that horse to commit to the stop. And most importantly, you've been isolating your voice up to this point. We've done some drills both on and off the fence to really get that horse to commit, respect the word woe, know what his job is, and really stick his butt in the ground and start dragging his ass a little bit. 
Then we, in our last episode, we introduced a little bit more speed off the fence, but we haven't really started drawing the horse into the ground full tilt at this point. Now we're going to start introducing the draw. I just want to point out that, as we've said before, you don't have to be this in-depth. You don't have to break things down into this many steps. We're a little bit more finicky, and we like to... I mean, think about it from the perspective of starting a two-year-old, especially one that has talent. You've got talent to work with, and you've got a lot of time to really get this down and really get it good. And so it's up to your discretion with your own horses on just how finicky and just how detailed you really want to make this process. So we're laying out kind of a general framework of how we like to think about it. For this episode, I guess where we'll pick up at is when we start introducing the draw, we're actually going to go back to the fence in the initial stage. Right. And I would want to point out as far as, you know, when you could introduce the draw and stopping the horse off of just, whoa, you know, when, when should I do what, how long should I wait, blah, blah, blah. I've seen a lot of people that start the draw very early on. Um, but what I would caution and what was a big insight for me in learning this this particular program is if you wait to start the draw until you really have the horse committed off of woe, the draw is like a, a super enhancement of what you've already built up, what you've taught the horse. Whereas if you start the draw fairly early on when the horse doesn't quite understand and isn't quite as committed, it's almost like it becomes a crutch. And then what happens is the draw means less and less and less as you go on. And it could potentially be a sort of a problem because you're always kind of battling between the two. It's like you you got somewhat of a woe, somewhat of a stop on a draw. You don't have a amazing stop on woe, amazing stop on draw, and then put them two together for a really good stop. It's like you started out with just woe. Then all of a sudden you added the draw as like a bit of a crutch and you put too much, you put the horse in too much of a bind. You like captured him too quick in the training. It's like when you draw on the, on the reins, you're as a general, essentially you're like guaranteeing that he will not run past this point. When you, it's like drawing on the reins is like closing a door in front of him in a way. Well, if you do that, like right off the bat before he's really taking the whoa seriously, it's almost like the horse is like, well, these are just swinging saloon doors. I can push right through these. But if you start out and you get that whoa, where there's nothing, nothing really to stop him but that word and just his respectfulness and his attention on you to respect that word and respond to it. If you get him stopping really, really well just off of the whoa, then you add the close the door with the draw. It seems like the horse just takes it to a whole nother level because you weren't relying on the draw to get the horse to stop in the early stages. Yeah, in the last episode, I know you alluded to that some, is that with the system we're laying out here, it's a much higher guarantee that when you really start doing rundowns and stopping for real, very rarely is a horse that's been taught this way going to be missing or blowing through the stop. You know, if you kind of teach them in this framework, if you don't lump everything together, both the woe and the draw in a mush very early on, but you kind of draw that out, really get that woe established, and then bring the draw element online later, it's almost like, since you've, done, since you've been so diligent, it's almost like there's less area for bad habits to creep in, in that young horse's development, especially early on in the stopping. If you're really 
introducing that draw early and you have to rely on it, as you pointed out, you can just create a lot of problems for yourself later on. You'll notice that with a lot of successful trainers that we've taken inspiration for this program from is that they're very strategic about when they introduce these different stages to a young horse. They don't overload everything right away. They don't use up all the cards up their sleeves, so to speak, and they, they don't tip their hand too early and set themselves up to fail. For the really important stuff, like these maneuvers, like stopping is, is a big one, there's a way that you need to introduce this so that you don't get too ahead of yourself. Exactly. So getting into the actual training side of it now, we're at a point now where we've added some speed down the arena. Not a, not a great deal, but we've added speed and stopping the horse across the arena on woe. I would recommend stopping the horse at that point, like using your diagonals, almost going corner to corner. You can go up and down. It's good to mix it up. But I also find that using the diagonals, um, it was a great insight that was pointed out to me. And I, I find it to be very valuable is using those diagonals. It's like the horse can't rely somewhat on the fence to guide them in a way. You're running across open arena, and so you really find out just how straight that horse is wanting to run. So adding the draw now, we're going to go back to the fence and almost repeat the earlier steps when we were stopping the horse off of woe. Now, the horse should be really committed by st stopping on woe now um, by this point. So it's not going to be completely out of left field when we start introducing the draw. Now, he's going to be confused initially. But after several corrections, the horse is going to pick up what we're, what we're laying down and, and take it and run with it. So at this point that we're going to start the drawing, it's still important to start your stopping. You know, use it like it's great to throw it in throughout your rides. Like if I'm circling the horse, and I'm just working on steering him and circling him and softening him up. I'll throw in every now and then. I'll just say, you know, on my circle, just go straight for a bit and then just say, whoa, or just turn him off my circle and cut through the middle of my circle or turn off the circle and cut past the center of the arena and go on to the other side of the arena and then just say, whoa, just something to mix it up and test my whoa. So I'm always going to start that first, especially with these young two-year-olds. I'll start off my rides, still throwing in the stop every now and then, a lot of the time, not as an actual maneuver. I just in doing my regular loping and steering and softening the horse up, I'll throw in a whoa every now and then just to see what he's doing or how committed he is when he's not set up for it, okay? But I'm going to do that first. It's almost like every ride, I need to check that he's still stopping off whoa first, and if I can check that box, then I can go ahead and start doing the same thing but drawing him into the ground. And that's where we'll get into this part here is using the fence like we did before. Throughout your ride, just loping him, steering him around. You can come into the fence, lope down it either parallel or come in at a 45, and just close your fingers on the reins. And that should be all the pressure it takes to get this horse to stop. Yeah, you well, should have shortened your reins to the point where when you do close your fingers, you just make contact with their mouth, essentially. Right, right. Now, I say that uh, you know with a word of caution. I don't want to have them short, short, and where when you close your fingers, you feel resistance. Right. There should be a slight drape in the rein. And when I have my fingers just relaxed and my hands kind of open, just closing my fingers, not drawing on my hands, not pulling them back, just closing my hands where they are, that slight little lift up in the reins and just barely making contact with that bit, that's the amount of pressure I want to stop this horse. It's all about subtleties, just like with the woe. So it's not even solid contact, quote unquote, of right. like the rein being straight. Like you said, just a little bit of a drape 
but enough of a change that they can perceive it. Exactly. Exactly. We're all about subtleties. It's like when we said, whoa, you just say, whoa, like you're just speaking like you and me here. You just lope the horse down the arena. Whoa. There's no, there doesn't need to be, you'll hear it all the time. Someone, they go to stop the horse and they throw themselves back in the saddle, like to try and really sit deep and convince the horse, hey, please stop. And at the same time, you hear the, whoa. You know, like they're yelling at this horse, like, did you hear me? Let me try it a little louder. Make sure you heard me. You know, no, we want to have the horse do more, us do less. In order to engage the horse mentally, we got to give him the responsibility. He wants the responsibility. He wants that job and to be mentally engaged. He doesn't like going around just loping around like a complete robot, just waiting for you to dictate every little thing. He wants to be thinking and engaged with what we're doing. So a simple just, whoa should be enough for that horse to take it seriously and really stick his ass in the ground. Just like with this draw, just closing my fingers and just removing that slight drape in the reins, that's all it should take, because guess what? Eventually, we're going one-handed. When you ha- when you go from two hands to one-handed, you're kind of hung out to dry in a way, so you're at the mercy of how broke you got this horse. And when you draw and say, well, at the same time, you're going to draw a little bit more with your one hand as a general rule, than just closing your fingers. And so that draw is really going to mean something if you did your homework and you made that subtle little pickup on the reins really mean something. Okay, so the correction is the same now on the fence as it was with the woe. If the horse stops but not well, you're going to back the horse up, turn them around and into the fence, and then lope off the opposite direction you were going and set it up again. If the horse doesn't stop at all, you're just going to pull him into the fence, take him right into a spin, lope him off the opposite direction. Once they've turned around with cadence and soft, lope him off the opposite direction, set him up again. If they stop well, you can you can ask them to back up a couple nice and slow steps and then just sit there and reward them, you know, 30 seconds to a minute. And in this stage, when I say not stopped well, I mean that they weren't very committed behind. They weren't getting as deep behind and stopping as hard as they were off of your woe now. You shouldn't be having the problem where they're just blowing through the stop completely. No. You know, maybe if the horse is, you know, very green, but has kind of taken a really leap forward and they're stopping just off the woe, and so you're like, well, I'm going to try it now, and maybe it's a bit early, and you do it, it's going to be a completely foreign concept, but... Turning them into the fence, turning them around a couple times will fix that. But when I'm saying stop well, I don't mean you pull on the reins and they, you know, turn the engine brake on and piddle down and root through your hands or something like that, or or just plop into the ground, jamming all four feet into the ground at once. I'm not too concerned with how they are up front right now, because our biggest priority is how they are behind. And a lot of this turning them around and the corrections we make are going to take care of a lot of the stuff that we don't like up front. But there's also going to be stuff we'll do later on to correct that. But again, we can only throw so much at our horses right now. So we have to focus on the most important point to get across, which is draw, stick your butt in the ground is what it means. So when I say doesn't stop well, I mean they didn't really push from behind and break in half um, almost at their back and get deep in the ground with their hind end, as they did. Now, not like, you know, finished fraternity winner. I'm talking as they, as good as they did now off of woe that you've had a little bit of practice with this, okay? So, 
the corrections are the same as before in when we were teaching the horse to stop off woe, and you're going to mix it up throughout your ride just as you did stopping off of woe. But like I mentioned earlier, you're going to start off your rides by stopping them off of woe before you actually introduce the draw, just as a double check to make sure that they're still listening and taking that woe seriously. Now, let's say I'm going to go out and start working on my draw, but the first stop I do off of woe, the horse completely ignored it. Well, that's a big red flag. So I'm probably not ready to go to the draw yet, am I? The, the woe needs to be very committed and a sure thing. It doesn't need to be sliding 15, 20 feet. We don't need anything like that. It doesn't even need to be sliding 10 feet at that point. It just needs to be loping along. When I say woe, it breaks in half, sticks its butt in the ground. It's really committed. It knows its job. It's not, it's not worried. It's not unsure. And I don't have to doubt whether or not it's going to stop every time that I say woe. Once you've got that accomplished on the fence now, where the horse is, when you draw it on the fence with just your fingers, and it's stopping as well on the fence as it was off the fence at off of woe, now you can start incorporating that draw off the fence in your stopping like you did previously, just off of woe. But you haven't caught it quite up to the level that you had at woe. So we're not going to go and start building speed and drawing the horse into the ground at the same speed we, we talked about last podcast, stopping the horse off of woe. No, we're going to go back and we're just going to stay at, the, at that comfortable, just normal lope speed, making sure it's not too slow now. I mean, there is a point where a horse can lope too slow and it's not uh, beneficial to even attempt to stop them. The horse has to be moving forward in order for us to do it. But we have to like take a little bit of a step back when we go to stop them off of draw off of the fence. But what you will find is they catch up so quick. So within a, a few sessions of doing this, you're going to be stopping this horse off the draw, and it will be stopping as well as they were doing off of woe. So I'd say in about a week's time, you could introduce this and build it up to where you have close to, not, a, not quite, but close to the speed running the horse down and drawing them and, and stopping them as you did merely off of woe. As long as you've done your homework up to this point, it's all hinges on how good of a job you did off of woe before we introduce this subtle draw. And subtleness is the key. I'll say that since we have to wrap up here, but we didn't quite get to the rundowns to touch on like I wanted to, but this is a really important aspect here with this draw, is subtleness is the key. When I say close my fingers, I mean literally just closing my fingers, just taking that slack out of the reins, not changing my body position, I'm not saying whoa, I'm not pulling my hands towards me, none of that. I'm just closing my fingers and then letting the horse dictate to me what the correction needs to be. Yes, if I need to pick up and and draw the horse backwards if he doesn't stop really well and I need to back him up, I'll do that. I can close my fingers and then pull and draw to back him up if I need to. But I'm going to ask him with that subtle amount of pressure first and then make the correction so that that subtle amount of pressure means end of the world is approaching. The edge of the cliff is approaching. I need you to stop now. And if we if we teach that to the horse off of a woe and a draw, now put that together and imagine a lot of speed and doing both at the same time. Now you've got a really good stop. So this is, it seems very basic and maybe harping on something a little too simple, but in the grand scheme of things, this is an absolutely critical thing to get across is that subtlety is going to be key and being picky and disciplined about the way you implement it.
let's overflow the discussion on the rundowns into an extra so we can just keep building on this momentum here. So we're going to leave this episode here. We're going to be posting additional content uh, to follow this up and uh, expand on our stopping discussion just a little bit. So we'll leave you guys here. We really appreciate you listening. Hopefully you enjoyed the show. And if you have questions for us, as always, message us on Facebook. Thank you again. Thank you guys for all your support on the Project Tours podcast and the Lundahl Performance Facebook page. If you haven't already, please subscribe and message us with suggestions or topics you'd like us to cover on the show. It makes a big difference in the quality of content we're able to create for you. Thank you for listening and being a part of this growing community.